This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, NLL preseason is underway and it was awesome. Derek Keenan and Rich Lisk will stop by. We'll check the waiver wire and see all the pop and drops from this weekend. The National Lacrosse League announced a date for the logo unveiling and we found some rare gems on NLLTV.com. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio and on SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can uh, drop me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on the old Twitter box at Off the Crossbar. Uh, got a lot of action this week um, from people who are at NLL training camps, from fans wanting to know scores and updates and how people were playing and how did this guy look and how did that guy look and I I can't break everybody down and I didn't see the Easter games but let me tell you this the games at the LEC while at times sloppy made me so excited for this year to start because you could feel the hatred and the rivalries already And we're not even playing games that mean anything. Now, for a lot of these guys that are at camps, they actually did mean something because, you know, they're trying to make teams. And you could see guys battling. And there is nothing more that I love seeing, especially in training camp, is guys bloodied up. And not because they've taken punches to the face. There were two fights, by the way. Um but because they're grinding and they're getting their noses dirty and they're getting their knees bloodied because they're in the corners, they're battling for loose balls, and they want to earn spots. I just love the look of a guy who is just completely spent after a weekend like we just saw, and he's got a few zippers in his chin, he's got the worst raspberry of rug burn on his knee, and he just has ice packs everywhere, and he is exhausted. And I'm sure most of the guys this weekend, especially the ones that played both games and had a practice, felt that way. And I commend everybody because those weekends are tough on the body. To have an early morning practice and then to play a game later that night, then have to get up early the next morning and play another game. It's against everything that we normally do. It messes up your schedule and your rotation, you know, and how you prepare and pregame naps and meals and all those things. But to be able to go out and battle the way these guys did for 60 minutes twice was commendable. And there were some brilliant performances. Um, I have an article coming up on, or it might even be up now, on Inside Lacrosse. Uh, A new look Inside Lacrosse, by the way. uh, Very snazzy. Um, Love the new look. So nice job. Actually, I want to say nice job to everybody working on it, but... Late last night, Chris Fox messaged me and was like, dude, what's up with IL? Is it down? And I went and looked, and it was like, file not found. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. So I shot a message to Stamper, who is one of the main editors for the IL indoor side of Inside the Cross, and he's like, I don't know, man. I'm looking into it, too. They told me they were doing some back-end work, but we'll look into it. And then I wake up this morning, and boom, 
a new look inside lacrosse. And it looks great. Uh, it took me a while to actually find the new aisle indoor, but I found it. And it looks great. Um, but there should be a little uh, recap of this weekend from the LEC. couple, you know, insights to all four teams, but a look at maybe some of the guys that stood out. Uh, a lot of the young guys really impressed. Some guys not so much. And there were some great veteran performances as well. So um, be on the lookout for that on the new look inside the cross aisleindoor.com. But when we look closer at this weekend, and we're going to hear from Derek Keenan in a bit, and we're going to hear from Rich Lisk of the New England Black Wolves for kind of a dip into the eastern waters. Um, but I've talked to all four uh, National Lacrosse League Western GMs after this weekend. And, um, you know, there were a few things that came out of the weekend. Um, probably the guy that stood out the most for a lot of GMs, uh, there was a few, and I can try to give you one guy from each team. Uh, Reese Dutch was great for Vancouver. Jeremy Noble was fantastic for Colorado. Wes Berg was great for Calgary, took me a minute. Um, and, of course, you know, Saskatchewan's going to look good, and, and Matthews look good, and Church, and all the, that rotation of guys looked good. But for me, the one guy that I just kept on being drawn to was Mike Messenger. And he is just an absolute monster. And he was taking draws. He was battling for loose balls, playing offense, playing defense, little power, little short. He was everywhere. They talk about five-tool players in baseball. Mike Messenger could be, and probably is, a five-tool player in the National Lacrosse League already, and he hasn't even played a regular season game. He is going to bring such versatility to that group, and we'll ask Keenan about him in a bit, that his style of play will become... I don't want to say revolutionary. But it's going to be a new mold of player. And he was the guy that I just kept on like, wow. And just watching him play and being up close and seeing the actual size of him and, and just watching his skill set was just absolutely phenomenal. Another guy I really liked was Chad Cummings in Calgary. And if you haven't seen him play, like I hadn't, up until this past weekend. Um, get ready to see a monster of a young man. Uh, 6'5", 205 from Caledon, Ontario. And he was just a, a huge body and fit and athletic and could run the ball and got up and down the floor really well. You know, that times he kind of got lost in defensive schemes, but um, a, a great sort of diamond in the rough for the Calgary Roughnecks and just another big body uh, on the back end. And there are a lot of teams that have some big bodies. Of course, you're going to look at the Saskatchewan defense and watch that group and just be marveled at the size, skill, and speed of some of their guys. But um, Robert Hope and Bryce Sweeting looked fantastic for Colorado. Um, I'm always going to be an Ilya Geich fan, and he's just a heart and soul guy that continues to battle and Joel McCready was just his usual self. I mean, there was some fantastic performances on the turf. And it's going to make decisions for these general managers a lot harder. 
a lot harder. Um, and it's not just the guys, you know, playing O and D. There's going to be some tough goaltending decisions. I think the only team that's probably pretty sold on who's going to be their number one and number two out west is uh, Saskatchewan. I almost said Edmonton. Is Saskatchewan. Boldy's your one. Carlson's your two. Move on. Most likely, Frankie Shiliano is going to be the number one in Calgary, but the way Christian Del Bianco played this weekend, um, I'm once again proved that he could be a starter right now in this league. When you look at Vancouver, my guess is Tyler Richards probably going to be their guy once he's back to full health. Um, but the three other goalies, they just released Charles Claxton today. Um, but Cody Hagedorn was 50-50 on the weekend. Eric Penny was 50-50 on the weekend. Ty Belanger was 50-50 on the weekend. So Doug Locker's got an interesting decision of what they do there. For for my money, I don't think it's Cody Hagedorn's spot to be either two or three. Um, unfortunately, for me, his game's just not there. It looks to be a battle between Penny and Ty Belanger. Um, for me, Belanger has more upside than Penny. Uh, I would like to see him be their number two behind Tyler Richards with Penny being their third, but that's a decision for Doug Locker. And in Colorado, Dylan Ward's your number one, hands down. Uh, then your number two spot's going to go between Alexis Bouquet and Zach Boychuk. Nolan Clayton looked okay. Um, I just don't think he he's one of those goaltenders that um, will need some more work. Uh, just kind of get adjusted to the bigger nets and the speed of the game. He, it was a great young kid. I had a couple chances to talk to him this weekend, uh, and he was just he was just soaking it in. Uh, he understood the position that he was in. Um, he had to try to earn a spot, and he played quite well, but just wasn't his time quite yet, I don't think. Uh, but he'll probably be a guy that will benefit from the ALL if he decides to go there, if he's not a practice roster guy or doesn't get picked up by another team. Um, but he's got he's another one of those kids that has a really bright future. And um, as I said uh, to a couple people over this weekend, and I said to him, and I've said to to numerous media outlets that I've talked to after this weekend, you know, gold the goaltending position, as we all know, takes time. Uh, it's very rare that you get a guy that comes in right away and makes an impact. You know, Christian Del Bianco could be that guy, but he's still waiting in the wings to get that number one spot. Uh, Cosmo, Vince, Bold, Carlson, um, Kirk, Belanger even, even Tyler Richards, um, even Dylan Ward all had to wait their turn, all had to sit behind proven starters for a year or two before they got the nod to be the number one. And once they did, they were able to run with it because they were slowly brought into that role. They didn't shell shock him. I think of a guy like Matt King, who was a great young goaltender but got thrown into the fire in Calgary and and his confidence in his game started to wane after that year. And when you throw a young goaltender to the fire too soon and to the wolves too soon, it can be damaging to their careers. And so I think Nolan Clayton, uh, I think a guy like Charles Claxton, you can go down the list of goaltenders who are maybe the number four guy on a list, um, but just not quite there yet, but maybe with expansion or the couple more years of work and experience at the senior level will make a name for themselves in this league. So uh, there was a lot to take out of this weekend. Like I mentioned, there was two. I didn't see the first fight. I didn't see the Archdeacon-Tyke-Rob uh, fight. 
Um, but I saw the Nick Billich Bryce Sweeting fight. That was a doozy. Uh, Westberg kind of had a run in with Tyler Hammer Jackson from Vancouver, but it didn't really come of much. But when you see Westberg that angry and angry enough to pop a guy in the face without his helmet on, you know um, how highly contested these games were and how fierce the battling was all over the floor. Um, it didn't look like, at times it looked like preseason, but, you know, the battles were midseason playoff push kind of battles. And that's what coaches and GMs want to see. They want to see guys earn their spots. The common theme from a lot of the coaches all weekend, it doesn't matter if you're a 10-year vet or you're as green a rookie as can be, you have to earn your spot. You have to go out and compete tooth and nail all over the floor. Make our decisions harder by proving you belong to stay. And a lot of guys did that this weekend. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Derek Keenan was in Langley with his Saskatchewan rush, the two-time defending champs, and um, they didn't bring a lot of guys to camp, and they don't often bring a lot of guys to camp, and that's by design, and we'll get the answer as to why from Derek Keenan. I caught up with him uh, Monday after the weekend is over and after we had all kind of settled in and decompressed a bit, and the first question I asked him, how did you think the weekend went? Pretty good. I mean, you got to remember it's preseason, and uh, mm-hmm. you know we didn't have a lot of bodies. We, we never bring a lot of guys to camp. But yeah, you know we, we had 25 runners, and um, so we had some mixed lineups. But I thought when we had kind of a core group together for a brief time, um, we were really good at both ends mm-hmm. of the floor and in transition. And uh, um, you know, a couple guys got a little dinged up. We didn't play on Sunday. Rubish and Corbeil didn't play on Sunday, but they're nothing serious, but we, we held them out. And, but it gave our, the younger guys an opportunity to play a little bit more than I anticipated, so that was good as well. Um, but overall, I thought it was great. I, I love the format there with, with mm-hmm. seasons. We had a bit of a grinder schedule having to play at 9 p.m. and then 9 a.m. Yeah. That was the only way we could really make it work in terms of you know, we wanted to avoid Calgary because we played them four times and we got them in the preseason in a couple of weeks, so we didn't want to really play them. Uh, we didn't, it was mutual. We didn't really mm-hmm. want to see each other. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, we wanted to get our Toronto guys home. So it of worked, worked out really well. And uh, we walked out of there unscathed and we got accomplished some things that we wanted to and I saw what I wanted to. So it was a good weekend. Uh, we know what you're going to get uh, out of your core group and the guys that have been there for, for a few years. So let's kind of focus on some of the new guys. Let's start with Adam Jones. Uh, uh, he got his first kick of the can, you know, right away Saturday night against his old team. How did you like Jonesy's play? Uh, he seemed to fit in right away. Yeah, good. I mean, he had a really good first weekend of camp uh, in Toronto last week, and he, he caught on to things really quickly. So, um, you know, quicker than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is great, and so he fit in well. I mean, there's still a learning curve there. There's still some hesitation, which you'll you'll see with new guys in an offense. Yeah. Like, like if you really watch our team, you know, kind of objectively. Like, uh, I watched the film this morning that our right side was a lot more um, smooth, I you would say, or in timing wise than our left side was. And that's yeah. because you know you've got five guys over there on the other side there that have all played the offense mm-hmm. for a couple of years or more and some guys longer. And then on, 
on the, the on the other side you got two new guys. So right. it was just a little bit more um, synchronicity on the right side, I think. And then, and then I thought I thought Mike Messenger was outstanding. Yeah, me too. He played played both games the whole the full both both games because of the, a couple injuries we had. So um, he was really good. You know, he's he's a, he's a beast. Like he's yeah, <laughs> and, and, he, and he's got some skill. You know. Um, so he, he was really good. And he, he adds an element, you know, to our team. I think, you know, we, we've always been a pretty physical team, but not yeah. necessarily, you know, a, a nasty team. And he adds a little bit of that, I think. So, you know, which is good. You know, discipline obviously is huge and, and that in, in the league. But he's uh, he adds an element that uh, we, we think is going to help us as well. Yeah, I, I thought Matty Hossick was really good, too. And, uh not not surprised at that, you know, but he, he was really good, and uh, you know it was good. I thought, uh, I thought it was overall a good weekend. Yeah, I, I think Messenger was the one guy that really stood out for me. He's just you mentioned he's a beast out there, and and he goes full seam everywhere. He, he was taking jaws. He was playing both sides of the ball. Um, you have to be happy with with just that, like you talked about that element that he brings. But he's so versatile out there. Yeah, he really is, and and, and I and I was happy with his decision making as well. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing too is, I mean, we've been, you know, Jeremy Thompson's been grinding it out for three or four years now in the faceoff dot by himself with nobody yeah. else. Yeah. And uh, having a little bit of support there, I mean, he's obviously a top guy in that area, but having some support behind him is going to allow him to to do some other things. You know, like we're going to put him on a little bit of penalty kill this year and, and, and add that to his, you know, already um, skill set that is probably that is really good. So um, it might give us a little bit of that as well, some depth in, in the face-off dot. So that, that really is a benefit. Uh, objectively, how did uh, Ryan play? I thought he was nervous, and I thought he felt some pressure. And I'm talking to him after briefly. Uh, he just said to me, "I'm glad that's over with." <laughs> because you know, as much as you know, as much as he's got a lot of insulation around him, because he has great players. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. There's still pressure, right? You know, the number one overall pick, and you know, your dad's the head coach and GM, and and uh, but I'm not concerned. I mean, he he's got the skill set. His fitness is off the charts. He's yeah. the cross IQ is outstanding. So, but you know, he did some good things. I just thought he was a little bit sort of tentative and nervous and, and again, normal, I guess. I mean, for anybody coming in, you know, probably unless you're Mark Matthews who kind of hit the ground running from the very first game he played with us. But, he, you know, he uh, he's, he's, he's fine. You know, he'll, he'll be better. He'll get better as we go on here. What's, what's as a GM and as a coach, what's your focus on with some of these young guys to get them up to speed um, and allow that transition to be as smooth as possible? We just go through a lot of repetitions in practice. I mean, we, we dive right into things. Yeah. Last week in Toronto, we get right into splitting floors and, and we get into our systems right away. Um, now, the, the one advantage from a, from both, I mean, if you look at two young guys like, like Ryan and Matt Hawkins, you know, Matt's played for me since he was eight years old. and. Mm-hmm. And he's played a very similar defensive system that we played for a long time. And Ryan's played for Jeff McComb for a number of years in, in yeah. junior. So, and, and we're really implementing very similar systems and, and sets. So, you know, he's, he's really familiar with that. But 
Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get right into things. We we try to get as many repetitions as we can, both, um, you know, just five on O and then five on five and two on two, three on three. And, and we run those reps and get as many in as we can and try and get as much, uh, you know, synchronicity as we can, um, especially on the offensive end. Like, when, when, we, when we opened last weekend in Toronto, even with some new guys in the back, you could see right away that, you know, defense was just, they were they were in sync from the get go because yeah. we've been playing together for so long, and the communication is so clear that it, it was. And then the young guys they see that leadership and the buy in, and they just it, it's an easy transition for them. Like it was an easy transition for Mike Messenger. It was an easy transition for Matt Hoffman. You know, so yeah. um, at the offensive end, of course, it's always a little tougher, and especially when you're practicing against a defense like that. Yeah. Which only makes them better. Oh, it makes them better. Yeah, exactly. Jones, Jones said, I'm just glad I only have to practice against them. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, that was good. It, it also helps that, you know, you mentioned right at the top that you only had 25 guys in cast where you look at a team like Vancouver and they have like 46 guys still. So that, that small number of guys allows guys to pick up the systems quicker because they're getting more rotations. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like I – Probably since my first year in Edmonton, you know, I don't think we've had more than 28 runners. I mean, we we moved some guys out in the off season. Hard mm-hmm. thing to do to move guys out. You know, hard to move John Lentz out. You know, uh, obviously Greer was that was a tough one, but we got a great player in return, and, and those mm-hmm. those things are, you know, they're, they're hard to do. But um, you know, you, you got to do them, and you have to stay on top of things. But it certainly does make things a little uh, easier in terms of. Absolutely. Um, getting into what, how we want to play when you don't have uh, a lot of guys around. I mean, we don't scrimmage. We, we never scrimmage. I mean, we, just, yeah. it's, we don't have the bodies to do it, and we don't, we don't have the time to do it. You know, and, mm-hmm. and we don't do fitness because the, the expectation is you come in game shape, and if you're not in game shape, you're going to be way behind, and you might be out of a job. So right. you know, that's kind of what our expectations are of the guys as well. After watching all the games and, and, and teams this weekend, were there any other surprise standouts maybe from, from some of the other teams that you were seeing? Um, well, this isn't a surprise, but I thought Wesley Bird was yeah, me too. ridiculously good, but I'm not surprised at that. No, me um, neither. Um, there's a couple guys. I like that Ocello guy from uh, – Oh, yeah, from Colorado. Colorado, like – and, and I was talking to Steve earlier, and he said he's never really even played. Like, and he, he he was a guy that I noticed in a good way, you know. Mm-hmm. Some some guys, you know, they bring to camp when, when you have a lot of numbers, you kind of go, oh god. But uh, no, he was he was pretty good. Um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, not, nothing else really surprised me. Like, I mean, from our team, you know. Um, you know, a couple of the guys that are a little less experienced, they struggle when it when the pace yeah. is high and you know, and the pressure's on and that. And that's not to be it's not a shocker either. So no, uh-huh. no all in all it was good. So, so what's next for you guys? Obviously you have the, the scrimmage with Calgary coming up, but uh what's well, this full on exhibition game. Are you kidding me? No, oh scrimmage. sorry, full on exhibition game. Yeah, yeah. which uh and apparently they sold a ridiculous number of tickets. So, that so yeah, we're, we're off this weekend. Then we have yeah. that weekend where we the game's on the Friday night. Mm-hmm. Fifth, I think. So 
practice Thursday night, shoot around, and then play them. And then we're going to practice twice Saturday. And then we're actually, we don't play till the 7th of January, so we're getting together in Toronto on the 31st, the whole team to practice because, awesome. you know, three three weeks off between is not good. So I, And I no. think I think a lot of teams are doing that, that are off yeah. the first weekend. And uh, especially, we open against two Eastern teams. You know, we open in Georgia, then we have Toronto in Toronto. So mm-hmm. typically, you know, we, uh, we we in the past we've struggled when we've had to do that because typically they practice a little more, they're together a little more, and they're a little sharper. So we want to be on top of things. Well, enjoy your weekend off, and uh, it should be a fantastic season. And and, and it was yeah. great seeing you guys out this weekend. Thanks, Derek. Okay, thanks. Take care, man. Take care. There is that's Derek Keenan, head coach and general manager of the Saskatchewan Rush. Um, couple interesting tidbits to take from that. I like the fact that they don't bring a lot of guys in. And I think by having such smaller numbers and keeping it light and just focusing on the things that you do can only make your team stronger. I think putting the onus on guys to come into camp in shape, um, you know, puts guys accountable for what they're doing away from the rink. And as he said, you know what, if, if you're not coming into shape, you're either falling behind or you're going to be out of a job. And the more you repeat these systems, um, the more ingrained they become in players' heads. And, and with less bodies, that means more reps. The other thing that I really liked, um, and I would actually have kind of talked with all the GMs about this, is... Um, the fact that they miss a bit of an opportunity um, this weekend to pump stuff out for for NLL TV. Um, I know Ashley Dab was here um, from the league, the the league CMO, uh, running the social media. Uh, I want to call it workshop, but it was just a talk um, that they had. The league had with the players about how to you know properly conduct themselves on social media and things that they can do to help expose them and, and the league and things like that. But um, we missed uh, a great opportunity uh, to tell some stories this weekend. And um, I talked to Doug Locker, and he would love to see, as would all the GMs, that you know maybe next year that they do this weekend where uh, the LEC isn't really fully booked. There was a lot going on at the LEC weekend, as there are most weekends, but um, a weekend when in the preseason when the LEC isn't booked uh, where they can – you know, play in the big rink, uh, they can run camps, they can run clinics, uh, they can do a lot more things than just jam-packing into two days. Um, they can use the Friday, they can use both Saturday and Sunday and, and have kids camps, and like I said, uh, do a lot more. Um, they can, you know, shoot packages, uh, tell stories, and, and do a lot more to, to bring attention. And as one general manager said, uh, the more help we can do to, to bring notoriety and attention to the stealth in Vancouver, um, the better it'll be to help them out. So uh, I think that's something to look forward to um, for next year. Uh, and it just, it seems like something that all the GMs are kind of on board with. And it's not often that that happens, um, that you can get four guys to agree. But when it's something, um, you know, like that, that, benefits everybody 
Um, I know it's close to Christmas, but it might be an opportunity if they do a full weekend out of it that it's not just Vancouver fans that are here. Um, Roughneck and Russian Mammoth fans might be able to make a bit of a trek out and see their teams in preseason action. So um, there's work to be done, um, but that's uh, definitely a discussion that is happening and that will be kind of put on the back burner, uh, say, until September when we reconvene and, and get set for another weekend like this and we can talk about it and just make it more accessible for the fans, um, more worthwhile uh, for the players from a standpoint of getting their stories out there. So um, good discussions going on, uh, not just about the play on the floor, but things to do to make this weekend um, just more attractable uh, for people, which can only help everybody. As mentioned... Uh, with the weekend finished now, there have been some movements among the rosters as we get closer to the roster deadline. Um, point of note, um, the original date for roster freezes was the 15th of December. But that's been changed. And the date is now the 19th of December, which is a Monday. And the reason that that happened was because some of the teams that don't start until after the new year uh, wanted an extra weekend to evaluate their players. So with the deadline supposedly start on the 15th, which was uh, 14 days before the first game of the regular season, which it's been generally. um, But since they don't play for an extra week, they wanted to move that date. um, But they compromised and they said, okay, instead of being 14 days, we'll make it just 10 days. And the PLPA signed off on that uh, yesterday. So um, the roster freeze date is now December 19th. So that will give GMs an extra weekend to evaluate players. It was supposed to be cut downs after this weekend, but it's now going to go until the after the third weekend in December. So that's good. More chances for GMs to look at players, um, which gives more chances and more time for guys to prove their worth. I'm okay with it. And like I said, usually it's 14 days before the first game, but it is now 10 days. So December 19th is your roster freezes. But there were some transaction actions today. So let's take a look at this week's Pop and Drops. Now, unfortunately, I don't have the full internal list that went out to the GMs today. I only have what's on the NLL transaction page. I was trying to get that throughout the day, but just wasn't unable to get it uh, before this time. But uh, there are four teams that have officially announced some roster cuts. Let's start with the Buffalo Bandits as they release Josh Becker, Dean Hill, Mark Cockerton, TJ Sanders, and Drake Smith from the active roster. Drake Smith being Dane Smith's younger brother. Dean Hill being the well-traveled NLL veteran, and we're sorry to say that that could be the last shot of the can uh, for Dean, and we wish him all the best. Mark Cockerton is a strange one. He was a first-round pick. The New England Black Wolves back in 2014. Uh, He got into some action last year, but was unable to stick around. They ended up releasing him. Uh, Buffalo picked him up. Uh, He was invited back to camp this year but just not able to crack a roster was Mark Cochran. And it's weird because uh, when you go back and look at that 2014 draft, Derek Keenan was actually on record saying that he thought um, 
that Cockerton was the most skilled player in that draft, and two years removed, he can't find a job in the National Lacrosse League. When people say that this league could handle a 10th team, there's a perfect example of how this league could exist with expansion and with one or two more teams. Uh, moving along, Georgia Swarm have released Michael King and Matt Christensen. The Toronto Rock, Rock released Jamie Batson, Jason Crawford, Eric Shule from the active roster in the Vancouver Stell today. Dropped Charles Claxton, Drew Ziadik, Brandon Murphy, Danton Miller, all from the active roster. That's another edition of the Poppin' Drops. Uh, for more information to see what things your teams are doing, check out the transaction page on NLL.com. It wasn't just the National Cross League West teams in action. Uh, the five NLL West teams uh, took to the Terps out in Ontario for a couple separate occasions with teams battling at the Toronto Rock Athletic Centre, also out at the Iroquois Lacrosse Arena out in Hagersville. So there was a bunch of stuff going on, lots of things for fans to take in. And one thing that everybody took out of this weekend and was apparent is no team won both or lost both games that they played this weekend. Um, which, you know, isn't that surprising considering um, teams were flipping rosters and, and bringing guys in and out. Vancouver was basically playing two different teams all weekend. Um, but it just goes to show the competitiveness of this league and where it is and the talent level of the National Lacrosse League you know, of these young kids coming in just gets better and better every year. And that just makes the product that much more enjoyable to watch. Um, you know, that first game when I was watching between Calgary and Vancouver was a little sloppy at times. Um, but then as the weekend went on and, and the guys got more familiar with each other, the level of lacrosse being played was quite good. And bordering on spectacular at times and, and just seeing guys um, making plays and, and giving it all. I, you know, I, I continue to stress how impressed I was over the weekend and I'm not the only one. Um, you know, I sat down and, and I was sitting next to a lot of lacrosse people all weekend from general managers and coaches to players and fans. And they were, everybody was just picking out different guys that were standing out to them and not just the veterans. Um, you know, a lot of the young guys were impressive as well, and and it's great for our game moving forward. And I continually say this, the the more time guys spend honing their game, not only at the senior level, um, but in the NCAA as well, because while playing senior lacrosse will get you mentally ready to be playing against men, Going to four years of college in the United States at an NCAA school, one, two, or three, doesn't matter, will prepare you for the grind. It will teach you to become a better athlete. Uh, you will understand conditioning and how to mentally prepare for games and how to eat properly and how to take care of your body so that when you go into a weekend like this, you're not just you know hitting the drive-through after and pounding down some milkshakes and and pops, you're, you know, you're wearing compression compression sleeves. You're, you're taking ice baths. You're eating properly. You're having your shakes and your proteins and all these things that guys are doing nowadays that, you know, weren't really a thing 10, 15 years ago. 
and you can see the level of lacrosse from, you know, when I was a rookie, the level of play of our rookies was fantastic. We had a great rookie year back in 2001 uh, with some of the guys that have gone on to be and could be and will be probably Hall of Famers. But we were just getting by on pure lacrosse ability for the most part back then. And now guys are coming in in ridiculous shape. And it adds to the quality of play from the get-go. And when these GMs sit down and they get a chance to see their players for the first time, whether they be draft picks or free agents or guys they've traded for, and they may be guys they don't even know, um, it's pretty exciting for these guys to see you know, who's going to make it, who's not, who put in the effort away from the rink and who didn't. And it just makes for a lot of tough decisions. And one of those gentlemen who has a tough decision or two ahead of him in the coming weeks is the general manager of the New England Black Wolves. His name is Rich Lisk, and he joins us now on the show. Rich, how are you, sir? Good, Teddy. How are you doing? I'm very well. How's things? Good. A little tired today. It was a long weekend. I got into I got into Toronto, and by the time we hit Brantford, it was like 1230 on Friday, and then we are up all day doing everything on Saturday and Sunday. And then by the time I got back here to New Jersey, where I live, it was 1230 last night. So it was, oh. a, it was a whirlwind weekend. But I will say, I've never been to the ILA before, and mm-hmm. uh, and what a really impressive place! Like I really enjoyed it there, and what Kurt Styers has done there is is amazing, and it was uh it was really cool, really cool to see. Yeah, I think the great thing about this weekend is we really do have three spots here in this country that you know allow for these types of events at the ILA out of the track and at the Langley Event Center, where all four Western teams were this weekend. And it's a great opportunity for weekends like this where everybody can get together in one space and play these types of games. How did you feel your Black Wolves performed in their first preseason action? You know, it was good. We did a little um, a little different thing, too. So Saturday morning, instead of having a shoot-around, we asked them for a little bit extra time, and we did our own inner squad scrimmage, which was nice yeah. for us to get our guys going. It was a, about an hour and a half, which was good to see them see them do some stuff because we were in the week before, well, two weeks before we were in Connecticut, and the fields are a little smaller there, mm-hmm. so it's hard to get the guys out and stretched and things and to really see it. So we were happy with the, the morning. It gave us a chance to see some of the guys, and then, you know, we played Buffalo that night, which, yeah. was, a, which was a different game. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, um, if you read the score sheets, uh, there was a little bit of uh, – it was a little chippy, and yeah. it was uh, a little back and forth on some things. So it was hard to kind of judge that because the flow of the game is hard. Yeah. Um, but overall, it was good to see, you know, listen, some of these guys, this is the NLL. This isn't uh, this isn't where you were playing before or college or juniors. Like, you're going against men now, so this is what's going to happen night in and night out. So it was good for us to judge guys based on that. And then coming back against uh, Rochester was a good game. And, you know, we won one and tied one. So we were happy with it. We had some breakdowns here and there. But it's preseason. you got to work those things out. Um, but overall, we have some we have some good young guys that this was a great test for them. You talked about sort of the flow of the game. Now, do you think that was, uh, and I kind of noticed this a bit out west, that with the three-rush system, a few more penalties are being called? Or do you think it was just, the fact that the chemistry is not quite there between everybody. I think it's a little bit of combination of both, right? I mean, mm. it's a three referee system, so it's new. Yeah. And I think everyone's going to be a little jumpy about making sure that 
it's warranted to have the three, so there will be some probably some extra calls. Or And the other thing is I was talking to Brian Lemon today, you've also got to realize that while we're in training camp, some of the referees right. are in training yeah. camp too. So that's a little bit different too. So they want to impress. They want to get themselves out there, just like a guy like you know, you've been around the sport enough, and you know there's these young guys that says, I'm going to go out and impress the coach. I'm going to do yeah. what I do. So if I'm a fighter, I'm going to fight somebody. If I'm, going to, I'm a goal scorer, I'm not going to pass as much, and I'm going to try to score. Mm-hmm. And the referees are kind of like that too. You've got to get your name on the sheet, right? You've got to look at <laughs> yeah. yourself. So with three of them, you've got the heightened of having the extra. So there's going to be things called that weren't called in the past. Mm-hmm. And you've got the guys trying out that want to be impressive. So – they're going to pull the trigger a little bit. So I got that system. From an overall standpoint, I think when we get into the season, I'm looking forward to the three ref system. I think it will help clean up some of the stuff. And, listen, it's going to, there's going to be calls that go against us, and there's going to be calls that go for us. Yeah. And I always say that it's not a science, right? Referees are human. We all make mistakes. So there's going to be mistakes here and there. And I try to tell our coaches and our players that, you know, you might come off the field and be like, oh, the ref missed this call or didn't make that call or whatever it is, but let's not put ourselves in that position to have the ref do it anyway. So mm-hmm. um, let's let's work around it. But I do like the three system. I think it, it'll take a little while getting used to, but if it helps the game, it helps the game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, me too. Let, let, let's start with uh, your back end and move forward. Um, mm-hmm. Evan Kirk coming off a goaltender of the year performance last year in 2016. Uh, how important was it for him to, to see some shots early in this preseason and feel the rubber and get comfortable with that defense? No, that's very important for Evan. He is uh, – I like to call Evan like he's a hands-on goalie. Like he mm-hmm. needs his shots. He wants his shots. He's not a guy that shies away from that. Um the good, he plays well. He plays at a high level in the summer, which is great for us. So he sees a lot of shots in the summer, too. But he's also not the kind of guy to rest on his laurels and be like, oh, yeah. I won goaltender a year. I don't need to warm up on the goaltender. No, he's in there fighting us all the time. I want more. Can you mm-hmm. give me more? Give me more shots. Give me more chances, um, which is great. That's what we want. We want someone to step forward and grab the bull by the horns and and knowing Evan over the last couple of years and having him in Philly and then here, he's a leader. He's, he's one of our leaders in the room, and he's a leader on the floor, and he helps us with the young guys, even positioning those young guys on the backside of where to be and where to stand. Yeah. So we give him as much leeway as, as he needs. He's not a goalie that we just say, take this weekend off. No, he's right in the mix. Like He's, he's trying out like everybody else in his mind, yeah. which is great. Um, you had uh, one of the top defenses in the league last year, and, and you've bolstered that with the addition of Scott Self. You bring in Mitch McMichael. Uh, you've given Josh Hawkins a try. How did those guys look, and, and how are you feeling about your defense uh, in their second year under Glenn Clark? You know what? That's our toughest position right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we have a lot of good guys in camp, and it is going to be a lot of discussions. And there has been already a lot of discussions. I can't tell you – I probably talk to our coaches more than I talk to my family these last couple of days <laughs> um, with everything we have to decide. And a guy like Scott Self, like I did, I knew him from playing. I never met him as a person. Right. Um, I knew his pl- style of play, but I got to know him this weekend. We traveled a little bit together back and forth. What a great human being. Like he just is, a great yes. person and in shape and professional. And it was, it was more than what I expected because – as a GM, I always say to the guys, I worry about the organization, and they worry about the team. Coaches mm-hmm. worry about the team. So I always look at the intangibles, too. And he's a guy that I was very proud to put on a black wool sweater this weekend. And 
and have him out there. So I was very impressed with, with Scott. And he's the kind of guy, and I, I come from a hockey background too, where sometimes they'd say, well, how did that defenseman play? Well, he wasn't on the score sheet. Well, mm-hmm. there's an old adage that says if you're not on the score sheet, you're doing your job as a defenseman. Absolutely. Like he absolutely. does the little things right, and he does the, the the intangibles that you don't see. And even little things like, you know, you've watched enough games that you get a young guy up the floor, and he's a little jittery with the ball, and he's looking. He doesn't know where to go. But Scott gets it up the floor, and he's calm, and he waits, yeah. and he gets yeah. himself out of trouble, and he gets the ball to the right guy, and then we're off and running. So mm-hmm. those things are, was very impressive. Um, a guy like uh, Michael, again, another guy I didn't know much about because he was out west. I know he's yeah. from Cornell, and we have a connection with Cornell with Mike French. And, and Mitch came to us and was like, hey, I know you, you have Jay Thornbert and Ryan Hotelling taking face-offs. I want you to know I'm not just a face-off guy. And and uh, and that was great because he was impressive, too. He got up and down the floor, and, again, he's a veteran guy. Relaxes, but if you need him in pinch to do face-offs, which is another great aspect. I love having that. Yeah, that flexibility, and then adding a guy like Jay Thornbert, which was Jay had three plays this weekend. I don't want to say he just had three plays, but three times was what we were looking at. He wins the faceoff, he wins it to himself, yeah. flips it down the floor, pass to Coil, Coil in the goal, done, up awesome. and down the floor in two seconds. Which is, which for us, when I look at our offense, and when I did the, the we were talking about doing this trade. I looked at possibly him getting us the ball another five to six times. Yeah. So if you do the averages of everything, that should average out to another couple of goals a game for Evie and Crawley and Saunders. And if I can get the ball in those guys' hands more, the law of averages says we're going to score more goals. So that was Absolutely. that was very good. And, I, I, again, another guy I didn't know personally, and I got a chance to know him this weekend. Mm-hmm. And from the summer talking to him, he's physically in great shape. Fits right in, another veteran type guy, but not too old on the veteran side, you know. But still in that middle age, which was great, which I loved, and so I really, I really liked having him here. And then, um, you know, you asked about Josh Hawkins. Yeah. As a person, I love Josh Hawkins. Mm -hmm. He's been he's been interesting because two years ago we had him in our free agent camp. Yeah. And we wanted to bring him forward, and he decided at that point he didn't want to. He is a tremendous tremendous athlete he is physically in some of the best shape i've ever seen yeah he is the nicest guys you'll ever meet and one of the most studious guys you will ever meet he absorbs everything like a sponge he wants to learn and he is a guy that impressed us this weekend and i keep saying guys like josh hawkins guys like marty bowes Guys like like even John Rannigan, who broke into the league last year. Yeah. Those are American guys that can play this game. And we need places for them to play. We need more expansion teams. We need more opportunities for box to grow here in the States. Yes. So I'm hoping, being the New England Black Wolves, and we have five or six of those guys, that we can help do that so guys like Marty Bowes and Josh Hawkins can play regularly in this league. Josh is going to make um, – you know, Josh is making some decisions hard. Yeah. Josh is making decisions hard. And I was very impressed with him this weekend. Every coach, you know, you're kind of teaching him on the fly, but his athletic mm-hmm. ability carries him to a certain point. But as you know, you you have that athleticism. Then there's the nuances of head on a swivel, getting picked all the time, the slides. As a defenseman, that stuff you need to learn. 
and our guys were doing a lot of teaching with him, and he was picking it up. Good. Very impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. Uh, you guys, unfortunately, had to move Miles Jones uh, to the holdout list. What's your status with him? Uh, obviously, you know, you guys were hoping he might be a guy that might give the indoor game a try, but we're kind of seeing this indoor-outdoor um I don't know, standoff, as it were. What's your, what was your conversation with Miles? Sure. You know, Miles and I had a good talk right before the draft. I wanted, I heard through the grapevine another team in the NLL that was interested in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I had some really good conversations about what he was thinking. Yeah. To the point that, excuse me, to the point that he said, I, I would like to get drafted. If you awesome. see the fit, I would like to get drafted. So we drafted him. Yeah. And we signed him. He's under contract. Then life gets in the way at times, right? He uh, yeah. has some commitments that he had. He had some uh, family stuff he was dealing with um, down south there in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just a lot of factors around what's going on. So I said to Miles, I said, listen, I don't want to put any more pressure on you. Uh, God knows you have a lot of pressure coming <laughs> at you from a lot of different places. I am here if and when you are ready to try this sport. Yeah. Do we think you can play this sport? We think you have the natural ability to let us give you an opportunity to play this sport. Now, we have to teach you this sport. You're going to come in probably as a D-tranny. We've got to mm-hmm. teach you a lot. But your natural athletic ability and the way from what I know about Miles is that his coach ability is there. So if he commits himself to it, I think he can be a very, very dominant force. Me too. You know, 6'5", 240 is a dominant force. But you've got to learn. And, and listen, I put the utmost respect and the utmost confidence if there's any two guys on the planet that could teach miles jones to play d training i will put my chips in jim Beltman and glenn clark's boat any absolutely yeah those two guys could get him to do it now just like paul rabel just like some of the other americans that we've dealt with in philly there's that tug and pull right Mm -hmm. he's got sponsors he's got the mll he's got life he's got all those people pulling at him if and when he makes that commitment to come to the NLL and give it a legitimate try, I think he can play. And that's why we took a chance on him. Yeah. That's why we now have him under contract. And I wrote him a note the other day, and everything's good. When you're ready, let's explore our options. And that's awesome. where we'll take it from there. Perfect. Um, let's move up the floor to the guys up front. Uh, you talked about uh, Shawnee Evans already. Um, obviously, uh, there's not much you can say that people don't already know, but as a guy who continually improves every year and shows his worth and his leadership ability, how impressed are you with everything that he's done after the move from, you know, Calgary all the way out to New England? Listen, I couldn't be – I didn't know Sean Evans, right, when I when we made this whole deal. And it was a long way of getting him here, right? We had to do the deal with Calgary, with Vancouver to get Big B and then over there – there's a lot of moving parts, and you're worried that you get the one piece, and then the other piece might fall through. So it was a delicate situation. We got him here. I think one of the best things this organization could have done for itself was get someone like Sean Evans in here. Agreed. It it allows it gave us a bunch of things. He's a listen. Arguably, I know there's guys in Buffalo that'll argue with me, and that's fine. I get it. Mm-hmm. But arguably, he's I would put him because he's my guy. He's the best indoor lacrosse player in the world. Yeah. Now, guys in Buffalo tell me Dane Smith, and great. I could argue with you. There's one in one A, and and and, and I get that. Um, but come with that, he also brings the other stuff. Like he gave us. So I I added 
the best lacrosse player, indoor lacrosse player in the world to my team. But statistically, I should be better. But mm-hmm. the stuff I was looking for, too, was he gave us an identity. He gives us an identity. He gives us a will. Like, he gives us an attitude. You know Sean as well as anybody. Yeah. He will bite your leg off to win a game, hmm. right? He's going to win a game no matter what. That permeates into the room so well. And it's amazing to me because you've seen superstars. We could call him a superstar Absolutely. in this sport. And they have an attitude to them, and they have this to them. He doesn't have that. He's about his team. He's about his teammates. You're on his team for five years or you're on his team for five minutes. You're a teammate to him, and he sticks up to you. He sticks up for you, and he, and he takes you to that next level. But he's also the kind of guy that's going to – He's going to stick you in practice and say, hey, you're not (laughs) doing it like I'm doing it. You're not doing it the way we need to do it to get better. And, you know, look at some of the stuff that's happened. Pat Saunders had his best year. Kevin Crowley Mm -hmm. had his best year. Howie Cannon had his best year. We added Sean Evans. I like working with Sean. I love Sean. He's a good guy. He gives us an identity. He makes people accountable in that room. And and it's just something that, you know, every team has that one guy, and now we have our guy. That's awesome. I, I love hearing those stories. And, and and when you talk about, you know, he, 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 he'll he go at you in practice as your own teammate. Oh. And those are the guys that I love playing with. You know, if there was a fight in practice, it just showed the passion and tenacity the guys had. And, and, and you know, you said Sean would bite his own leg off. Sean would punch his own brother in the face. If it had, if it meant for him to get, yeah, has <laughs> for him to be successful, and those are the types of leaders, and that identity thing is huge. Um, I want to ask you about uh, Seth Oaks. He was your first round, one of your first round draft picks, along with Joe Coyle. How did both of those guys look in camp? You know what? I'll talk about Seth first. I didn't. Sure. I knew Seth. You know, we drafted him. You don't really know him until you get him here and talk to him. He's quiet. Yeah. Um. You know, you, you kind of think, okay, you know, he's a quiet kid. I traveled with Seth this weekend. Um, we met in the airport and traveled together. I got a chance to sit and talk with him. He's a very intelligent kid. He's a very introspective kid. Um, but then when he puts that helmet on and those pads, he turns. Yeah. And I was very, very impressed with him going into the dirty areas, getting the, the loose balls, taking a pounding. And I'll tell you, the one, the one play that impressed me the most with him is, you know, he's a rookie. He's trying to make the team like everybody else doesn't matter if you were the eighth pick or the first pick. You had to come in and make this team. And he was backing down on a defender against Buffalo this, this weekend, and the guy went around his neck and started choking him to bring him down. He's strong as an ox, and they couldn't get him down, ripped his helmet off, uh, two-handed him in the back. He could have easily turned around and started a fight this kid. Like, I would have turned around and started a fight this kid, and I'm not <laughs> he's playing. And yeah. threw the penalty and walked away. The kid's drawn in his face, drawn in his face. Kid goes to the box. We go on the power play. He scores on the power play. Awesome. Like that to me is a veteran play out of a rookie who could have easily turned around and fought. And you would have been like, okay, the kid did what he had to do. But in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I need a goal here. This is mm-hmm. perfect. I'm not going to jeopardize. And that's the stuff. And then he scored a really nice goal right in the middle, getting hammered from the front, getting hammered from the back. And he can shoot from anywhere. And he was like a low-handed, underhand, sidearm shot that just uh, – got it past the goal, and gets hammered in the back and ends up on his stomach. And that's a, that's a thing that's going to be really nice to have, really, really yeah. nice to have. So we were very impressed with him, and the way he handled himself has been great. I'm really, really very happy with him. And then Joe Coyle, 
was a guy that, uh, you know, I heard a lot of good things about Joe Coyle. Uh, Andrew Suter spoke very highly of him. I have a lot of respect for Andrew and his opinion on players. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when we drafted him, the first guy I got a text from is, you're going to love this guy. And it was from Andrew. And uh, another quiet kid, like, listen, you come into camp, and you're in camp with Sean Evans and Kevin Crawley and Evan Kirk, even Billy O'Brien, who's pretty, you know, intimidating, intimidating guy. Yeah. And, and he walks in, and he walks in. I thought he was, like, in high school. Like, he's, <laughs> you know, he's, like, he's very young-looking and stuff. The kid's tenacious on ground balls. His IQ is amazing. His, his lacrosse IQ is amazing. And the way he handled himself was very, very impressive. He was one of the guys in camp that was very impressive to us. And here's a kid that I would love, you know, love to have around. And we got another weekend to go, but he's a kid that could grow with this team and he could play in this league. Again, he needs to mature. He needs yeah. to put on some weight. He needs to learn that you're playing against men. You know, it's it's different when you're going against uh, Priolo and Billy D. Smith than it is against the guys you're playing with where, where you played. So yeah, of those are things that will come, but for a first camp for a kid, very impressive. Uh, so what's next for you guys? When do you guys go next? We go this weekend uh, in Leacock Sports Center in Scarborough. Um, we'll do two inter squads, and then we we sit down and talk, yeah, and uh, and, and kind of go from there. And then then there's going to be some tough decisions, really tough decisions. Uh, Again, we spent a couple hours with each other last night. We'll spend a couple hours tonight hashing out. And the good thing is, is that there's five of us that are kind of involved, plus our owners. And we give everyone gives their opinions, and it's you know you go back and forth, and this guy and that guy, and and I like the democracy of it, and I like mm-hmm. the, uh, the the way we do it and the, the take we we put on it and stuff. So again, it'll be some hard decisions. But like we told the guys yesterday and the day before, we haven't made any decisions. And we haven't um, had any preconceived notions. You need to make the team. If you're the best player, you're going to make this team. So from Sean all the way down, let's, let's, let's have a good competitive camp. And we've been happy with it, very happy with it. That's fantastic, Richard. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, I know you've had a long travel weekend. It's like the, everybody, it's the NLL season. So <laughs> these long travel days are going to become part of the norm. Uh, I wish you the best this year, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for giving us some time today. I'll tell you, it's my pleasure. Anytime, anything you need, you let me know. Thanks. There he is, Rich Lisk of the New England Black Wolves. A team that some people may be picking to be the favorites in the East. I was asked by one fan who I was taking in East and West, and I said, I'm not going to make that pick quite yet. First of all, I'm terrible at these picks. I don't think I've ever successfully predicted who's going to be in a Champions Cup final in like six years. However, I'm not going to pick anybody yet. I will make my predictions on the December 20th show. Once I see all the final rosters and once all things calm down, I will make a prediction right before the show before Christmas, the 20th. Deal? It'll be perfect. It'll all come out succinctly. Roster's due on the 19th. I'll have a show on the 20th. Bada bing, bada boom. There's your picks. And I want to hear your picks too. So drop me a line, teddy.jenner at gmail.com or throw me a line on Twitter at off the crossbar. Let me know who you think will win the East and who will win the West. Because I don't think it's cut and dry. Sure, after watching this weekend, I, I still think Saskatchewan's the best team out West, but... 
Um, anything can happen in a one-game playoff. Anything can happen in a best two of three. I have no idea what's going to happen out east because I think that is just an incredibly tight division. And with five teams, it's just too tough to call right now. So we'll just wait and see. On the 20th, on this show, we'll make our predictions. A um, couple of small notes before we get you out of here. Um, as mentioned off the start, the National Lacrosse League has announced a date for the unveiling of the new National Lacrosse League logo. Uh, we've been teased with it by the Commissioner Nick Sikiewicz, um a few weeks ago when he said that this was going to be happening. And when we talked about it on this show, I mentioned that and this was purely a guess that with the direction the National Cross League was going and how they want to get back to our roots and and honor the heritage of this game, that the new logo would have something to do with the creator, something to do with the Native Americans' history and legacy and connection to the game. Well, with the ceremony on the 17th being at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut, the home of the New England Black Wolves, it kind of leads toward the logo having a native flair. Again, I don't know what it is. This has been so lock and key that I don't think anybody outside of the planning committee has seen this. When I talked to uh, Todd LeBranch, one of the NLL referees this weekend, um, you know they had had their uh, referee camp, I guess you'd call it, a few weeks ago. And I said, hey, by the way, have you seen the new logo? And he kind of chuckled and, and said, funny enough, usually when we get our rule books, it has the NLL logo on the front. But this year it didn't. It just had the words, National Cross League official rule book. So they didn't even get to see it. And I'm really, really, really interested to see what this looks like. Because the way the commissioner explained it to me was that it was going to bring the National Cross League up to date with modern times. It's going to bring it up to speed with all the other big leagues. It's going to... Um, create a new modern narrative for the National Cross League and I don't know what that is. I don't understand well, I I can draw it in my head and imagine what it could look like. But I just don't know. And that's why I, it's like an early Christmas present on the 17th. So, mark your calendars. If by some chance you're listening to this and you can drive to the Mohegan Sun on the 17th, maybe you'll go. Maybe you'll send me pictures because I won't be able to get there. And with it being held at the Mohegan Sun Casino, I just have a sinking sensation that I'm going to like it. I think I'm going to like it. Last week here on the show, we talked about the debut 
of NLL TV. Um, some people have signed up. Some people have gotten their discounts. Um, one National Lacrosse League team is actually giving all of their season ticket holders a free subscription to NLLTV.com. Kudos to Mike Board and his group for making that possible. I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea because season ticket holders were automatically going to get a reduced subscription by like 10 bucks. And now Bordy and his group have said, you know what? You get it for free. We're throwing it in with your season ticket holder ticket. You buy a season ticket, you get NLLTV.com for free. Fantastic. I love it. What I don't love, although I do love it, is the fact that somehow the National Lacrosse League got their hands on one of my, hmm, how do I want to say this? My most rememberable, unforgettable, forgettable moments in National Lacrosse League history. Let's see if you can pick this out. You guys want it. Now, I don't know who found this buried deep in my backyard, but I didn't ever want this film to go. 2004, Denver, Colorado. Colorado men versus Deanna Heinstein. And it wasn't the actual first time it had ever happened, but it was the first time 18-odd thousand people decided it would be a good idea to take a sock off and throw it on the turf when Gary Gordon scored his sixth goal of the game. And as Willie B likes to say, can't believe that that is one of my lasting memories of being a National Lacrosse League player. Right up there with two 1-15 seasons, which that season was in 2004. Right up there with scoring my first goal in Dallas Elliott, having seven points in my home debut as a Rochester Nighthawk. And being on the floor when Gary Gate delivered the first ever sock trick. I can't believe they found that video. Damn it. Well, if you go to NLLTV.com and you go into their archives, you go to the best of and... You maybe even search some things. You can see some really, really cool videos. There are a lot 
of things out there that if you start doing some searching, you'll find. There's old game tapes. Uh, there's Dane Smith setting the new NLL points record. Uh, there's Jeff Shatler goals. There's overtime goals. And I'm just reading the ones that I'm this page that I'm on. Uh, you can see Reese Dutch getting his 700th point. Um, you know, flip through. Check it out. There's a lot of free stuff over on NLL.com right now. Sorry, NLLTV.com right now. And it'll help kill some time before we get to the regular season. That'll pretty much do it for this edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Uh, For those wanting an NLL fix, there's more preseason action this weekend out in Toronto. Um, The Colorado Mammoth are heading east. They will take on the Toronto Rock in a preseason tilt. Um, Some teams are off. Other teams aren't. Um, And then in two weeks, a first exhibition game. And there's a difference between preseason exhibition, as Derek Keenan pointed out. Uh, The first exhibition game between the Rush and Roughnecks from Sastel Center in Saskatoon, where they've sold a buttload of seats. There's going to be... I'm going to say there will be over 12,000 people at that game. Two weekends in Saskatoon, I'm predicting over 12,000. I don't see anything that's going to prove me wrong, unless there's like a blizzard. But they've pretty much sold out the entire lower bowl of that arena for season ticket holders, and they are the hottest ticket in town. And they've only been there for a calendar year. It's incredible. Thank you to Derek Keenan from the Saskatchewan Rush. Thank you to Rich Lisk from the New England Blackwells. And thank you to all of you who have stuck by my side listening each week in and out. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. We're that much closer to a new logo. We're that much closer to Christmas. And that means... We are just 23 days away from the opening game of the 2016-17 NLL season. My name's Teddy Jenner. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.